It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Bonjour, bienvenidos, and welcome to Misdeeds and Intrigue. I'm your host, Larissa, and... And I'm Carrie. Yay! <laughs> How are you, Missy? Um, just missing you. I feel like I haven't talked I to you know. in ages. I know. We see it's summertime, so we get all caught up in family things and vacations and moves, and it's just been crazy. So, you know, all of you out there may think we talk to each other a million times a day. Well, it's been tough lately, and I miss my little care care. Oh, I will. I miss you too. I really do. I'm like, I save up all these messages and emails and everything because I'm like, oh, I want to talk to her about this, and I want to talk to her about that, and I wonder what she thinks about this. I love it. Bring it on, sister. Bring it on. So what have you been into lately? There's so many new series out. There's so many things going on. Well, okay. So I did watch, I'm fascinated with the 13 Lives movie. That's about the boys who got trapped in the cave. (gasps) Me too. Hey, Rick, you following what's happening in Thailand? Some kids stuck in a cave. We're on the list of rescue divers. It's just a tourist cave. It looks easy, but when it's flooded, it's impassable. Takes a certain kind of mindset for the deep cave diving. You have to be a bit nuts. They're very, very dangerous. High water level and a low visibility. Barely shoulder wide. Pulling against very strong currents. Oh my gosh. How did you like it? Well, I watched the National Geographic one, which was the real time documentary. And that, that was amazing. And I, now I watched the movie that Ron Howard directed with Viggo Mortensen in it, who I adore. And I had to stop intermittently when they were doing the rescues because I was getting so claustrophobic and so nervous and like sent my heart rate, my little watch, my Apple watch was like, you need to take a break. You need to breathe here. Let's do breathing exercise. Cause my heart rate was going through the roof. It made me so nervous. I'm like, I know they all get out alive, but it was, it was really, it was really good. It was really good. Strangely enough. I'm going to cut this part out. You know, that was on my topic list of one of the topics I want to talk to you about, but I didn't know if you'd be into it because I'm so interested in ships that go down um, black boxes of airplanes Terrain ahead. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Terrain ahead. Terrain ahead. Pull up. Natural disasters. Yes, exactly. We're into disaster porn. I was like, she did not say like the magic words. I am so bad, but I'm so intrigued because I know man against nature. It's like we cannot control these aspects. Why do you think when I fly, I'm I watch all those disaster airline movies. And then when I fly, I freak myself out. And ships that go down, they had a Smithsonian series on that. They only did one season and I was so pissed off. If you go to Paramount Plus, yeah, they have air disasters, but they also have the sea disasters out there. My daughter's been watching the entire series. I walk in there. I'm like, which one are you on now? Is it the, the Arctic Costa one? Concordia. When people say sharks can smell fear, you could feel it all around you everyone was scared that's actually the sound of rock tearing at the flesh of the ship 
These are the stories from the cabins, the corridors, and the lifeboats. On the night that one of the world's largest cruise ships hit a rock, and 32 people died. If I didn't jump then, there'd be absolutely no chance. By this point, I think we're all just praying for our lives. Remember the Arctic one where the, it started to fill up? And I think it was in the Bay of Canada, somewhere up there, where that passenger ship started. To, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't even get me started. I just found out the other day that t- the Titanic, you know, the movie that Steven yeah. Spielberg made it the exact amount of time. How the movie was so long. It's like two hours, 40 minutes or whatever. Wait, that wasn't Steven Spielberg. That was, was it? Uh, was it? Um, G- uh, Cameron, 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 James, James Cameron. Cameron. Yeah. I- I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. God, me. I know. Mia how dare I? No. And uh, he made it the exact amount of time as what it took for the ship to go down. And then the scene with the iceberg was like 37 seconds. That's exactly how long it took of wow. them hitting night. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You won't find bodies at Titanic. Uh, You won't find skeletons. The bones actually dissolve into solution very rapidly at that depth. What anybody who's explored the wreck finds is pairs of shoes. Takes years for a skeleton to vanish, but the shoes treated with tannic acid, they won't eat them. So all around the Titanic are the shoes. There's a scene where we were filming and we came across a pair of women's shoes yeah. next to a pair of girls' shoes. These were people. These were people. Those shoes got the, to the bottom double, double. on people. They were in their cabin yeah. because the cabin was all around the destruction of it. Oh, right. And there was a hand mirror. This is the human element. This is what people touched. It's what they lived with. Amazing. I've seen that movie like four times. Yeah, I know. I just read it the other day in some one of those random little fact things. I'm so intrigued about this whole thing with the Thailand. Like I read an article about it and like the timeline and they showed diagrams of how they got them out. Mm. Well, I went to start to watch the movie. I stopped watching the movie because I was like, I got to really watch it so I can read some of the subtitles. But Colin Farrell said that they built like an underground cave system and he was having panic attacks in the water. They did. They did. Even even Viggo Mortensen almost um, not almost died, but he had a, an incident where yeah they built an exact diagram and he had an incident underwater, and all the guys, the rescuers, were actually there to work as you know set mm-hmm. uh, to the professionals. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set advisors, advisors. He said if he didn't listen to what that guy told him, he felt like he was going to drown. I mean. You have to watch it and watch the documentary on National Geographic. Too. It's on Disney Plus. It and now I want to go back and rewatch that mm-hmm. because now I it's crazy because they don't have nearly an amount of footage. Obviously, as you doing take after take of trying to get the footage right, but the way they brought them out, like it didn't really show that in the documentary, but it really went into detail of how they like gave them shots, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, You'd it, have to. Something else starts with the T. They give them a shot and they go, you know, they go into a sleep, but they kept on having to top them up all the way through because it took like three and a half hours to swim them out. And that freaked I hate going under in the first place for surgeries, but can you imagine knowing that they're drugging you to take I can't even believe it. It made me so nervous. When I just had my last procedure, he literally asked me one question. And you were gone. 
I was gone. It scares me how quickly you go under. Yes. I was like, oh, he's just trying to be polite. I had no idea he was doing that on purpose. <laughs> like, like I'd be like the easiest person to like move because I am yeah. so oblivious yeah, you're to like, it. Here's your GHB night yeah. night. Exactly. Exactly. I will also watch this thing on HBO Max in addition to F Boy Island, which I'm kind of into. It's called Anarchists. Okay. Everyone thinks anarchy is uh, do whatever you want. Anarchy just means self-ownership. The most peaceful ideology in the world. The state has oppressed me since birth. I was wanting more freedom and wanting to be controlled less. We wanted a pure anarchist life for our kids. When they did Mexico, this was a solution. What would you think about conference in Mexico? People just like you and I, who question authority, who want to live differently in Acapulco. It will change your life. No, we don't want anarchist people here. It's about this event that happens in Acapulco every year called Anarchapulco. Mm-hmm. And there's American citizens who go down to Mexico thinking that they can live there with no rules. They don't like government. They don't want any rules. They don't want people mm-hmm. telling them what to do. And what really angers me about this is that every place has rules, people. Maybe they're not government imposed, but they can be imposed by a hierarchy of what is down there. Yeah. By the way, cartels. Exactly. And a couple people ended up getting shot and and killed and just like they they think they can go somewhere else in the world and just fuck up that country because Mm -hmm. they don't want to live by any rules. But guess what? Every place has rules. I don't care if you're in the Galapagos Island. They're gonna have rules. People are oh, yeah. rules, whether it's just people living there. They don't want you shitting in their front yard. Are you kidding me? That's a rule. Guess what? Don't poop in my front yard. Hey, yeah. don't urinate on my sidewalk. Those are rules. And I just got, I I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, great. You don't even want any rules, but a couple of them moved back to the United States because you know, the grass isn't always greener. It's just different grass. You just have to water it differently or mow it differently. So it's in, I really suggest you watch it because mm-hmm. it's interesting and it's unique. And um, these guys like embedded with this group of people for, I think, three or four years. So I love those documentaries where the documentary filmmakers just embed for an extended period of time and then put everything on their <laughs> credit cards. I'm like, Jesus, how did you do this for three or four years? So watch that. What have you been watching? I watched Woodstock. What the hell happened? It really felt like it was flower power and coming together in harmony. I've never seen this many people. Just peace and love and music. That was it. It felt like a crowd that could turn at any time. It was like this unleashing. All this energy. There was no control. The environment was just very male ego. I started seeing large groups of dudes surrounding women. There was a lack of respect. Given the climate of the guys there, I'm not surprised by it. Hey guys, back, give us some room. You're getting scarier. Oh, is it good? I wanted to watch it. Yeah, it just brought me back to like my high school years. The fashions, the way people acted. Yeah, I remember because I didn't live that far from Woodstock. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. And uh, we would go when at one point when we lived up right north of it, we would go there 
to like hang out and all that. There was some hippies and some cults and stuff because New York loves a good cult. There's so yeah. many cults in like upstate New York. Oh my God, upstate New York, Sarah <laughs> William or whatever that was. Yeah, there's and that's not the only. There's so many of them. I remember. I think the Woodstock wouldn't let them have it there now there is a place up there that they do concerts at bethel or bethel woods or whatever but and then they moved it to rome which was at griffiths which they closed but now i think they have rome labs up there because i went tdy one time there and it was super top secret and we were like joking around that that's like a stephen king movie was going on there like the mist or something because they kept calling it the rome labs So they had it up there. And I remember the roads and stuff being packed at the time. I I might. Yeah. I was like right before. Yeah. I got pregnant in 99. Woodstock happened in the 60s, didn't it? Or are they talking about the second Woodstock? The second one, 1999. Oh. At first I was watching it and I was like, oh, this brings me back to my youth. And they were trying to talk about how disastrous this was. It kind of reminded me like fire fraud. I was just going to ask you, is it like fire fraud? Well, at first, yeah. And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound that big of a deal. Oh my God. By the end of it, the fact that nobody died, it like I was showing it to McKenna. She's like, no, somebody had to have died. Really? Without having social media. The only thing that saved their asses was literally social media. And the fact that People back then weren't like Couldn't as too happy. On it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There just wasn't that evidence. It was. Is it, it on was, Netflix or what is it on? It's on Netflix. It's a three-part series, okay. which I was glad they kept it to three because I feel like I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of these series now they just drag them out to get more episodes. Yes. Yes. Which has yes, been kind of like annoying. I have to admit the fire fraud one, and not the fire fraud. Um, the anarchist series. There was an episode that was very, they hyped everything up. Everything was a teaser in it and then nothing paid off. They even titled it Damage, which it was weird because the damage had already happened. Mm-hmm. And I think they wanted to, it was like a lot of baiting yeah. and not much payoff, which I'm glad there wasn't much payoff because it would have meant more people dying. But at the same time, I was like, oh, did we really need that episode? We could have like incorporated that into something else. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that in mind. If you ever do documentaries again, I know I I wish I hope you do though, by the way, because I just saw something the other day and it reminded me of you and it related to Bosnia. That's funny that you say that that is weighing on my mind because, um, our neighbor happens to be good friends with the mother of the son. Okay. Uh, God, I can't even remember his name. And I just read his book. So he went over to Somalia way back at the tail end of the Mm nineties. He was the 22 year old, 21 year old that got stoned to death. Remember the American journalist that the photojournalist who was working for Reuters Reuters, who got stoned to death? No, I didn't know him. Yes. This is a fascinating story. This kid was so young and he embedded himself in Somalia and Kenya with people. And there was a bombing at the UN and the people in the streets were really pissed and they ended up turning against these two guys. And one of them was this young kid who was an amazing photographer, like really on the forefront of what was happening in Somalia. His pictures were published in Newsweek all over the place. For a year and a half, the the city had been gripped by a civil war that had killed 30,000, mainly civilian people. 
the famine was in full swing and the warlords were in control. On July 12, 1993, there was a terrible bombing by UN forces of a house where they suspected the warlord General Idid was hiding. Journalists rushed to the scene. Four of them murdered that day by an angry mob. The call came at 7 in the morning, and I was asleep in Los Angeles. I was in a hotel. I was working in Mexico. I was doing an internship. I was at home convalescing from a road accident. And he said, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. And I knew. You know, I knew instantly. I said, it's Dan, isn't it? And my mother called and said, you know, this is the phone call I never wanted to make, and, and Dan's been killed. And his mom has a foundation in Malibu and our neighbors who's, you know, my friend, my son is good friends with their son. They know her really well. It's, I don't know how they built this friendship, but it was really interesting. I feel like when you go back in time, the history of journalism and at the time when you see about a lot of this and human rights and, and atrocities and things that are going on, it really came down. I think now in, in our country, now journalism has become kind of like a war, a political war. It's like very focused on politics. And I've been listening to a lot of BBC related or witness to history and these, these different podcasts. And it kind of harkens back to this time where the only way a lot of these stories of atrocities got out was really because of journalism. It, it was people going in that the stories came out. You had to go in with a camera. Now anyone can take a cell phone video, but before you had to physically go in with a camera and be on the front lines Yep. to capture any of it. I mean, I was just looking, you know, journalism has always been really, wartime journalism has always been really interesting to me, along with the children aspect of war. It's like, sometimes you and I have the same interests. It's kind of scary. I just went down the rabbit hole reading about how in Paraguay killed this award-winning journalist at a che police checkpoint, like put him on the ground and shot him in the head. It was like this Why? great, I'm going to send you this story. I can't, I was going to send it to you just because I thought it was fascinating. Recently or was this? No, this was before. I didn't realize how much dictators were going on down there. His name was Bill Stewart. Literally, I have the article right in front of me because- Oh, wow, send was, it to me. Yeah, it's very, very, interesting. It was the last house before this field where the barricade was. They had us get out, show our identification. Uh, while we were out, I noticed on the left-hand side of the building, the interpreter's body. He had been shot in the head. There was talk back and forth for about three minutes. And finally, they told us we could leave. We got back into the van. The driver asked if we wanted to take Bill's body back to the hotel. I said we did. So he and I backed up, put Bill's body in the van, came back here to the hotel. I will send you the article about the, well, there's please. tons of articles about the 21-year-old, but- No, but please do. It was just a horrible, prolonged death that they put him through when literally two hours before that, he was on the streets with, the, he would break bread with these people. He was embedded. He was their friend and they turned on him so quickly. It was just very heartbreaking and very sad. And he was kind of- he kind of had this wanderlust and, you know, he, but at the same time, he had this talent for photography. Oh, I, sometimes I think we were born from the same mother. I do too. It's, it's scary to find someone that likes the same stuff I do. Cause otherwise it's, I try to be like, did you know, I was telling, I was telling the Colonel the other day and he had no interest. So did you know 
there was a civil war in Algeria and I was listening to like witness to history when I was in Spain and they had a, someone who bombed a cafe actually on there speaking. She's out of jail. She's not. Oh, wow. And they had somebody who was actually there at the bombing who like lost their grandmother and their leg and they were t- giving their account. So did you know all this went down? And he's like, and so? yeah, like <laughs> this pertains to me now. Yes, I, I get made fun of a lot for I do too. for yeah. yeah. So and what, uh, there's two things that I've been really fascinated with that I I saved up to talk to you about. Oh, okay. So a few years ago, which it could be ten years, it could have been two years because now all time blurs to me. I always yeah. think everything just happened last year, yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There was two uh, Saudi Arabia. I think there was Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. There was two girls that were Middle Eastern that were found that had tied themselves together and they had jumped in the Hudson River. Two sisters. Yes. And apparently, I guess something happened with their green card or their visa and they had died together. They were tied up together. Police have identified two sisters found dead inside their Canterbury home last month as they investigate the mysterious deaths. Detectives are not ruling out murder. The Saudi Arabian women discovered by a building manager after they failed to pay their rent. These are the only known photos of Sister Amal and Azra Al-Sali, taken from their passport, the same document they used to flee Saudi Arabia in 2017. Their pursuit of a better life ended in tragedy last month. The women, aged 23 and 24, found dead in their beds at their Canterbury unit. The bodies were there for some time, so that has that is problematic. A post-mortem in the days following their discovery has failed to provide answers. The girls were 23 and 24 years old and they have died together in their home. We don't know the cause of death. It's unusual. This forensic roadblock has led detectives to call on the public for help. They seem to keep to themselves somewhat and uh, that's why we're seeking information from anyone who might have known them or who has had contact with them. Details around their life and social circles are shrouded in mystery. The siblings registered an ABN as sole traders in 2018. Azra took out an AVO against a 28-year-old man in 2019, which was later dismissed. Police have small snippets of information, but still no suspects. It's understood during their time in Australia, the sisters had been engaged with a refugee service set up to help foreign nationals who'd escaped persecution rebuild their lives. The sisters' family have been in contact with police through the Saudi Arabian consulate. Did you hear about the two sisters that were found in Sydney, Australia, right? 23 and 24. There were asylum seekers apparently from this family that had money. From the Saudi family or from just... Yeah, Saudi Arabian sisters. They went to Australia. Yeah, so they were they tried to get there as asylum seekers, right? They brought yeah. and they were trying to go to school. They were very quiet, kind of under the radar. Apparently, there had been somebody outside the apartment that was like watching her. They were found dead inside their apartment in their respective bedrooms, right? Just laying on their beds, just serene. Like they don't know how they died because they had been found because the landlord came to see hey, you're not paying your rent. And then he found their bodies had been decomposing for like a month. Five years ago, they had fled their homeland. And again, it it reminds me very much like these other two sisters did the same thing. They brought like a bunch of cash, but they run through it because, you know, they didn't have that kind of access to cash before. So yeah, 
they don't know how or why they died. There was no sign of Ford's ancestry, no clear signs of injury. Were they part of the royal family? Well, or wealthy family? Or probably wealthy, but know. families there, from what I understand reading that book, and suddenly I'm this like self-professed expert, which I'm not. Apparently, there's a lot of branches of the royal family and mm-hmm. So there's so many branches that you can be distantly related through. Somehow they might've had a connection. Wow. And so on the floor of one of the bedrooms, there was two crucifixes found. That's... But they're not sure who it belonged to, or if they even indicated that they had renounced Islam. The investigators are kind of maintaining secrecy while they're doing this investigation. And the worker said that the women approached them with safety concerns earlier this year from the building. They made a report that they saw a man acting weird outside the building, standing between two cars and acting strange. And they followed up with the complaint. They checked the security footage, but they weren't sure what the intentions of this dude was. This reeks of like a Putin-esque type of poisoning. That's my other story. I got to tell you, the woman also told building management they feared someone was tampering with their food deliveries. I bet they were poisoned a thousand percent. And surveillance said there was no evidence to back up their fears on that one. But think of it. You eat something, you don't feel good. So you go lay down in your bed and you die. Poisoning. It it doesn't have to be a gruesome death and it could go undetected because the last thing they're really going to check for, there's no forced entry. So why would they check for any foul play? First, they said that oh, this well-connected family in the Saudi kingdom were cooperating and helping with the investigation, but now they're saying they're not. And he said that the, the police are saying that the family blocked detectives from releasing photographs of the women as part of a public appeal to shed light on the case. Long distance mercy killing. Yeah. Their photos and identities were released consultation with the coroner, not the families. And they were unable to explain a delay on the release of toxicology reports, oh. which usually take four to six weeks. But these findings were fast-tracked, but they still haven't released it. So yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of mysteries around this. That's, I'm, even the Hudson River one leads me to believe that that was not a suicide. That was two women tied together and pushed into the river. It's, they don't want anything to get out. It's like a mercy killing, only it's happening in a different country. They think they're safe, but they're never going to be safe. Just like some of these oligarchs, they're never going to be safe from Putin in other countries. The other, okay, so that's the other story I've been obsessed with, right? Uh So they recently came out that one of Putin's friends who actually had tapped him for seeing his potential had quit, right? Kremlin official. So this story comes out on, let me tell you, it came out mm, August 3rd, right? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, he's in the hospital, partially paralyzed and unable to close his eyes. He had resigned March 23rd over the invasion. He fled Russia, but later fell ill with some saying he was poisoned. But now his condition is being formally diagnosed as quote unquote, Gillian Barr syndrome. Yeah. There's so many of them that are dying. And they said that Russia is developing poisons to mimic diseases because there's so yes. many that died in such a short order. And they're yes. also taking out the rest of the families as well. Daughter. I mean, some of them in the beginning were completely brutal, just gunshot wounds, stabbing. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. This has not been like a recent thing. 
because like I told you before, the ladies of London, the very first season, there was a woman on there and her boyfriend committed suicide, quote unquote, which, but he was a group of a larger group of these investors or these finance men where they all were killed. One was on police train tracks. One was thrown over a building. I mean, there were so many different, the odds of them while dying in that small amount of time and being dangled over the side of the building, it just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, no. well, London came out recently, I think on a 2020 year, it was a 60 minute saying that basically they had allowed all these investors to come in basically to buy their citizenship. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom has welcomed the oligarchs with few questions asked about their fortunes. Instead, a two million pound investment got special visas and a fast track to citizenship for hundreds of oligarchs. Billions of pounds poured in and Russian tycoons went on a buying spree. Andrei Goryev, an oil billionaire, bought Wintonhurst. In London, only Buckingham Palace is larger. Roman Abramovich purchased the champion Chelsea Soccer Club. There was so much money, Dominique Reeves says, it was hard to tell legitimate investors from crooked ones. The 2019 report found it was so easy to wash dirty cash in Britain the visa program was known as the laundromat. Parts of Belgravia or Chelsea that was called Red Square. Red Square. Did you ever watch that documentary on the wives of oligarchs? Yes, yes. I did. Yes, I did. Very fascinating. And I'm wondering if they're, those oligarchs are still alive. Yeah. Because Well, the one is in hiding. But I mean, then it's not very good hiding if you're doing a documentary series for NBC. <sighs> Yeah, but what scares me is that and what London is realizing now, they literally had poisonings on their soil. Yes. They're, this is going, this is not, I get it. I can be skeptical of conspiracy theories like, oh, you're telling me that 60 people were involved in yeah. this cover up. However, when these kinds of stories come out, I start kind of believing all these like kind of CIA movies and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, because they, all they have to do is recruit a small group of people who are making no money and say, listen, we'll fly you here. Or they can even get locals who make no money to do their dirty work. And you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. Like, just remember that, I think it was an Asian family. Remember where they hired those two Asian girls and said, you're going to be on a game show. And they went up and poisoned that guy by touching him. Yeah. You don't even need someone in on the secret. All you have to do is say, hey, we're on a game show or a radio show, you're going to run up there and kiss that guy. And she could have, I don't know. It's just so easy to poison someone these days. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. 
Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.